Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. Please welcome our host, professional organizer, Sarah Karakayan. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity industry. I'm Sarah Karakayan, professional organizer and your host. All right, no one likes talking about it, but being prepared for a disaster is imperative, right? And being educated ourselves as service providers will just bring additional value to our clients. Everyone needs to be prepared for disasters. So today's episode is going to be a great way for you to get your name out into your community as the go-to organizer or productivity professional by like presenting workshops or classes. And we have just the professional on our show today to get us going on that journey so we can add that service or or value-packed content to our own personal audiences. Lisa Witzleben is a professional organizer out of Alaska. She owns and operates Unclutter Me and specializes in disaster preparedness. Now, she's broken down the big task of being 100% prepared for almost anything that can come our way into seven steps that we're going to break down and talk about in today's episode. And my hope for you is to be able to learn a little bit about what it takes to be prepared. So after we're done organizing kitchens or even in the middle of it, we can also suggest to our clients, hey, this is great, but I've noticed that you know you don't have X, Y, and Z set into place, and I'd love to help to get you and your family prepared. Or even if you're a productivity specialist and you're helping families or business professionals, you can mention this as another value add. It can be a value add on your blog, or you can do video content, and Lisa is the pro to help us get going on that. So Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you today. I'm so excited to have you. And Lisa, what you're doing is really cool. So Lisa, in addition to this value-packed episode, is putting together seven blog posts that are going to outline what we're going to talk about today. So if you want to dive in even deeper, she's got that content for you. And we will make sure that we linked that in the show notes. But Lisa, before we get into all of that, can you take our listeners on that journey of that you went through in your own life to get to where you were before? before you were doing what you're doing now to where you are today? Absolutely. So I am a proud Alaskan. I'm older than 35 years age, but I've lived here for 35 years in Anchorage, Alaska, which is the largest city in the state of Alaska. I am a proud wife and mother of three children that I had in three short years. I have a five, six, and seven-year-old. And what I ended up doing is I used to live in the corporate world. Before we were able to have children, I really was focused in the corporate world. And then I had that ability to be a stay-at-home mom. In my corporate world, I ended up working in tourism here in Alaska, which is a very big mainstay for our economy. And I took tours all around the state of Alaska and into the country of Canada. And I worked as the real operations manager for both Holland America, Grey Line of Alaska, as well as the Alaska Railroad Corporation. I then ended up getting my master's degree in global supply chain logistics, which to a lot of people are like, what the heck is that? I wanted to put myself out there different than most getting masters in their MBAs, getting the business administration and their masters of science in that. So I decided to put my foot out there and stick myself out and go into global logistics supply chain management. 
And in layman terms, it's getting something from point A to point B in the most effective and efficient manner you can. Where we are strategically located for the United States is extremely unique. We don't have all the different road systems to come in and out of our large cities. If the road system is taken down, how is it that we can leave the state of Alaska by boat or by plane? And not necessarily is that always an option depending on our weather. And so knowing how to operate with the supply chain and logistics, even with families, as we work in the residential or even with your professional clients, and finding those logistics to work with your clients and how to get through these problems is very unique in Alaska. I ended up working as the logistics planner for Homeland Security and Emergency Management here for the state of Alaska, and that's really where my expertise in disaster preparedness came from. Uh, my job was to help mitigate after the disaster and help them follow through once we had a disaster, be it natural or man-made. I then ended up working uh, in the financial institution, worked for one of the top 10 credit unions in the nation, and then I was able to be at home. And obviously, with three littles and a very short period of time, I was trying to find anything to broaden my perspective outside of motherhood. And so in December of 2015, my husband and I decided to make this venture, and I created Unclutter Me. Organization has always been something that's come very easy to me. And I've gone for it. My tagline is refresh, renew, live simply. And I work predominantly with residential clients as well as doing professional speaking for corporate training as well as nonprofits. Wow. So we truly have, I mean, in, living in Alaska, like you said, is such a unique perspective. And tell me if this is true or not. You are one of the only or the only National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals in Alaska. Is that true? I actually, there are three of us. Okay, there, are two, okay. there are two that are really active, but compared to most of our, right. our, our professional organizers in the lower 48, that's very, very small. So there is only three of us. Two of us are quite active. And when I started my business in 2015, I immediately joined the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. I wholeheartedly believe in this organization and what we are able to provide for each other and what this organization is able to give us in means of these podcasts and training that are available to us to broaden our own expertise in our fields. And how wonderful is it that we can bring you in all the way from Alaska into this podcast world where organizers and productivity professionals or those who are aspiring to become those uh, professionals can hear what it's like for you to be the most prepared in one of the most unique locations and take just pieces of what you're going to share with us today and apply it to their own lives, even if they live in you know New York City or like myself, I'm in the Midwest, and, and apply what we're going to learn today to our own lives and to also educate our clients, or even you might even inspire someone who is yet to decide on a career path and say, wow, this is important. And this is what I want to do for my little section of the world. Absolutely. And I, everything we're going to talk about today is not specific to Alaska. It, it will apply to anyone who lives within the United States or even without outside of the United States. The big factor that I would like people to leave with today is no one is immune from natural disaster but everyone can prepare. And where we step into that role as professional organizers is to offer that level of preparedness to our clients and to make this a simple process for them. 
And that's why I love today's episode. You know, other episodes we talk about, maybe it's a little more productivity heavy, maybe it's more residential heavy. And so people might say, ah, oh, I'll listen to the episode, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, piecemeal it together. But truly today applies to everyone in the world. You know, like everyone needs to have that plan B, C, D, if things happen, the things that we don't even foresee. And I don't want to be doom and gloom today, but we do need to be realistic and and listen with open minds so that we can help others also become prepared. And what's interesting, you're completely right about this, Sarah, is that it is not a fun topic. It gives us a heavy feeling, adds stress, anxiety, because no one wants to work on a disaster preparedness plan on a Tuesday night or a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. You, you don't want to sit there and worry about the what if. A lot of people try to do almost uh, when you look at your value of time, value of money, of why would I take the time to do this and why I feel this is so critical for us to have this podcast is not only does this apply for us as professional organizers with our clients, be it in the business world and or residential world, but this applies for us to make sure we are just as prepared for our families so we can be the best professional organizers to our clients in times of need as well. I think we should dive right in, Lisa. So you've kind of given me a framework, and I'm just going to list these seven things off right now, and then we're going to go through each step. And like I said, listeners, Lisa is creating content on her website where you can go in and dive even deeper. You can, of course, contact Lisa, and we'll talk about all those things at the end of the episode. But here are the seven, not necessarily steps, but seven categories that we can prepare ourselves in. So cash is electronics, your go folder, memory totes, pets, create one point of contact, and then review child, elder, and vulnerable family member information. Okay. So I know that's just like an overview. So let's dive in, Lisa, with number one. You say cash is king. What do you mean? Well, I'd like to talk about for a minute that one of the reasons this became such a hot topic was in November 30th, 2018, we here in Alaska experienced an extremely strong earthquake. And as we know, recently there have been the earthquakes in California. We are coming into or already are in hurricane season, tornadoes. Within the United States itself, our major five natural disasters are earthquake, not in specific order, but earthquake, tornado, hurricane, floods, extreme weather, and drought. We need to be prepared. So cash. This is by far, I feel, the most important. Now, I do want to make a caveat that this particular topic that we're talking about, I'm going to put aside how much food you should have, what you should have for clothing. There are wonderful websites available through FEMA, ready.gov, through your local state and local agencies to get you that information. This is not you creating a disaster preparedness kit by means of your food and your shelter. This is by means of what are those other critical data that it's so imperative for you to have in that time. The disaster has happened. Now what? So cash. Cash is king. And unfortunately, as we all know, everything is all about wireless and everything is very easy that no one has cash anymore. And this is vital. As we know, when you want to transfer money to friends, family, or whatever the case may be, we not only use our debit and credit, but we have Apple Pay, Venmo, PayPal. So for people to have cash on them is actually highly unique. I would like every family to have a cash supply that is within their home. 
You are not going to the bank to get this money or your financial institution. This is money you have available at a moment's notice. It is imperative that this money is not touched. You don't dip into this fund to pay the piano teacher or give money to the kids to go get ice cream. This is what I refer to as disaster cash. It needs to be, and I will be saying this quite a bit in this podcast, easy accessible. It has to be very easy to access. It needs to be secure. So for some of you where you may live, if you are in more tornado prone areas, that might be in your safe room. For others, it may just be that it's in a safe that's very, again, easy access. My recommendation is to start off with a minimum of $400. There are multiple websites that will recommend for at least a family of four to be up to $1,000. But I do find that a lot of people have some hesitancy to be to just have $1,000 sitting around in their home. The location of where you choose to keep that money is key. A lot of people are nervous that, well, what if something happened? What if uh, robbers came into my home? I don't want them to find this cash. This is not something where you are wanting to put this in the freezer because you think this will be the last place that they check. For instance, to give you an idea with the earthquake is this earthquake was a very shallow earthquake that we experienced on November 30th. It was not very far from town. Most earthquakes are hundreds of miles deep and hundreds of miles from big cities, for the most part, not all. This earthquake was only 10 miles north of Anchorage, and it was only 29 miles deep, so it was extremely violent, and it was extremely, it was overwhelming, really. So I had clients who actually had their cash in their kitchen. Well, our kitchens were completely annihilated, and glass was everywhere. So when you are selecting that place to put your cash, again, easy access, user-friendly, secure. If, though, you choose to put it in a safe, very interestingly, a lot of safes are battery-operated for you to do your finger code or whatever the case may be for your fingertip. Make sure wherever you put that, that if it is in a safe that's battery-operated, that you are every quarter or once a month checking those batteries so that you can then get into that safe and be able to pull that money out. It is also imperative that that money is in a weather-resistant package uh, because it could be you have a natural disaster of a hurricane, but then it's the flooding that's coming. So you need to be able to get to this. This is quick, easy to grab. You're going to your safe, secure location. My recommendation is to start off with at least $400. It needs to be, and this is another critical point, in small denomination bills. When our earthquake happened, a lot of the retail operations and stores had signs on all of their debit and credit card readers that said, we are only giving $20 of cash back out. And that was because they themselves were trying to hold on to the cash they had and not let everything go. One thing people don't think about is, imagine that you end up losing power. If you lose power, we have no electricity. The financial institutions are not going to open up, be it a credit union or a bank. If we lose online access, this is something a lot of people don't want to even think about. If we have no internet access, the financial institutions are not going to open up. So you're not going to be able to just go to the bank or the credit union and get the cash you need. This is cash available to you right now. That's not your rainy day weather emergency that you may have of your dishwasher breaks down or the car breaks down. This is very much specific to disaster disaster cash, again, in a easy to access area, but secure that you can put your hands on immediately to know that you can go get milk and it not cost you $50 because you have $5 bills. 
Right. Oh, I th- we take a lot of that to grant of for, for granted going to the bank. Or I'll never forget when I lived in New York City during Hurricane Sandy, and I went to the grocery store, and there was nothing on the shelves, and they were only taking cash. And <laughs> I, I use. Venmo and Apple Pay left and right. And and we don't think like this. So although I don't want us to all walk around being skeptical or or nervous, but just having this like this knowledge of how we can better prepare ourselves for these disasters is just crucial. Okay. So the next one is electronics. Go ahead and dive in on this one. So electronics, very interestingly, when we had this earthquake, quite a few of my clients, as well as friends and family that I ended up talking to afterwards. Our earthquake took place at 8.29 in the morning. Most of the kids for junior high and high school were already in school, and elementary kids were on their way to school. There is a lot of research out there that you should not plug your phone in in your bedroom for best night of sleep. What I need all of us to do is I need one location, and this is where, again, professional organizers, we can help establish this for our clients. I need one designated home for your electronics where everyone plugs their phones into that area. 96% of all Americans have cell phones. 81% of us have smartphones. And unfortunately or fortunately, how we want to look at it, we are very reliant on our, on our smartphones and our cell phones on a regular basis, not even including a disaster taking place. I need one location in your home that all of those phones are plugged into And what I also want in that area is I do want to have a battery backup that you can have a battery backup charger. It may include tablets that you want to have as well. And I also highly recommend that you keep a power strip that's not plugged in but ready to go. Again, these are things of the disaster has happened. You need to get to a safe area in your home or you may need to leave your home. You're grabbing that cash from the secure, easy to access area. You're grabbing those electronics. A lot of people wonder, why do I need a power strip? Well, when electricity does come back on, we may be operating out of one area of our home or we may be at a, we might be at a shelter. And when it comes back on to know you can plug in a power strip and plug in multiple pieces of electronics versus just one is key. What was so interesting here in Alaska is when this earthquake happened, so many people use their phones as alarm clocks and they may have a wireless charger next to them on the bed but they didn't necessarily get it to the wireless charger because unfortunately they fell asleep with it next to them. They were watching a movie. They were doing something probably not in the best time management (laughs) that they should have been doing. Uh So a lot of people I have found out don't plug their phones in at night. They wait until they get to work the next day. They use their car chargers. And I need people to think outside the box. Us as professional organizers is how can we help our clients to... We can't prevent the disaster, but if we can give them these steps to where they're not having to worry about my battery of my cell phone, do I have any place to plug my cell phone in now that we're done with the disaster? These steps are meant to say, we're still in a point of anxiety. We're dealing with a lot of stress, but I can now help myself, help my family, and we as professional organizers can give these steps to our clients. So good. I wouldn't have thought of half of those suggestions. And I am at fault with the charging my phone overnight. I, t- I tend to leave it, you know, in the kitchen and then I go to bed because I don't want it in my bedroom. And then it's almost dead of the morning. I'm like, don't worry. I'll, I'll while I'm driving around the city, I'll, I'll charge it then. But you're so right. I, you know, we depend on it. 
I tell people, I want you to imagine if a disaster happened right now, what is your cell phone battery life? <laughs> yes. And then if it were to happen at 3 a.m. in the morning. So for instance, even uh, one of my medical providers I was talking to, and they mentioned that because they charged their phone in the morning when the earthquake hit, this particular medical provider was down to 12% battery life. And we ended up having power knocked out until about 3.30, which is absolutely amazing that they were able to get it back so quickly after such a violent natural disaster that we had here. But as we know, in hurricane areas, tornado areas, they can be without power for days. And I want people to go beyond this and think, what if I lost online access? I don't have any mode to be able to go to any of my online accessibility information. I just have me, myself, and I, my family, and my hard copies of what is important. Okay. How about your goal folder? What is the goal folder? This is daunting. Bottom line, it's daunting. So I say take a deep breath. And this is really where we as professional organizers can hone in and let's use our expertise to help our clients. This is where we can really shine and help all of our clients, be it business or residential. A Go folder is that folder of important, critical documentation that you may need. It's not pretty. It's not fun to talk about this part, but it's essential. The first thing in the Go folder is identification. In all of these cases, I don't want it to be the original. I want it to be a copy of these important documentations. So we're, when we talk identification, driver's license, passports, Anything of that nature that we would say falls into this area, that would be copies of that identification, birth certificates. The second thing that I want you to establish is emergency contact list. Again, everything we do is all online. We've gotten away from really even storing things on our laptop and our desktops because we have online storage available to us. This is a list of emergency contact that you can turn to because I want you to imagine, let's think about that disaster to where we have had power knocked out. We did our best to plug our phones in. We've done all of these other steps we've mentioned, but our, our cell phone has now died. Our smartphone has died. Do you know the number of your neighbor? Can you get a hold of, I mean, even for goodness sakes, you know, when I think about very close family friends, I don't know their numbers off the top of my head anymore because I have that reliability of my smartphone. So I want you to have a contact list of those that you can reach. And some might be thinking, well, if I have no access, how am I doing that? There might be satellite phones or other things available depending on the situation we're at. But this is if you get that opportunity to be able to use a phone. Maybe it's an old style rotary phone. We're going to go back in the day. I want you to be able to contact these individuals and know you don't have that anxiety and stress of, I don't even know what their number is because you can't get into your smartphone. The third thing within the Go folder is a password list. Now, I am not looking for your Pandora or your Netflix <laughs> or your Hulu account. What I'm looking for are the critical passwords that we may need to access. So, for instance, mortgage, the website to your mortgage lender, your account number, your username and password. Same goes for medical, for your insurance company's vehicle. Those things that we just know we can log into our accounts, check those things out that we may not have that access right available. We won't maybe have our desktops or our laptops, or you may be operating in someone else's computer because your computer is not able to be functioning or you weren't able to have it with you. 
It needs to be a list of specific passwords. And importantly, Sarah, this is going to be different for every family. And this is where we as professional organizers can help make that list with our clients and help them through this. One reason where we can step into this is that, again, as we know, professional organizers or those listening who are considering to become a professional organizer is the fact that we're not relationally tied to our clients. And so we can take away that anxiety and help them find these documents and create these lists. Medication. Medication is critical. What I'm looking for here is, again, going through various sites of FEMA, ready.gov to create that disaster kit of your food and clothing and medication. What I'm talking about here is a medication list. For each family member that's within your home, you need a medication list of birth date, who their doctor is. I need it to include the name of the medication that they take or medications, the generic name as well, dosage, as well as frequency taken. Some people will actually have their supplies of for instance, blood pressure, diabetes medication, but they only have so much. And depending on the disasters, Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Katrina, when we look at some of these massive disasters where people were having to go way beyond what we would think we would need for a disaster to have help, you need to have these things available to you to get yourself the most effective and efficient help. So again, I want this by individual within your home broken down with those things on there. End of life. No one wants to talk about this. For those that are professional organizers listening to this, I had the opportunity to go to the NAPO 2019 conference, and there was a wonderful workshop trap that was put on by Audrey Ballette of end of life uh, documentation. And she is absolutely a expertise in this field. And I highly recommend looking to her website and we'll make that information available. But she is an expert in dealing with end of life. You must have your end of life documentation within your Go folder, which is, of course, your HIPAA form, your durable power of attorney healthcare, uh, your advanced directive, your durable of power of attorney for financial as well as your will. And again, as you can see, these are not fun topics, but we want to prepare so you can handle the disaster after as best as possible. We then want you to have your mortgage home information. This might be if you rent, renter's information, mortgage, we want to include loan information, your title, insurance. Then we want to have anything that's considered high value motorized vehicle, motorhomes, RVs, boats, motorcycles. Again, the title, registration, insurance information so you have that available. And then the last thing that is something that a lot of people really worry about is jewelry and art of that high value jewelry and art is having that insurance paperwork with you if you do have those pieces insured and again getting pictures. This is again where we can step in in our field and help them create this huge packet I'm talking about of all of these takeaways but that they can work with them on these particular areas in the Go folder and help relieve that stress and anxiety for our clients. Where should we leave the Go folder and should our money be in this folder so it's all it's all one grab and go? Excellent question. It absolutely needs to be in the same area. So again, depending on your location, is that your tornado safe room or is that in the safe? Some people may not have a safe. Again, I want this as secure as possible because we do need to think about what if something happened and someone were to get into my home. 
each family is going to have to make that decision themselves. But yes, absolutely. When a disaster strikes, I know I can go directly to my safe. I can grab, which is easy accessible. It's not in a spot that I'm going to have to go three levels down to go get. It's right there accessible. There's my cash. There's my go folder. I grab my electronics. I continue on. Right. So good. Okay, we are going to take a very quick break and hear a message from Napo. But as soon as we're back, we're going to talk about memory totes. So we will be right back. The National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals is proud to offer Napo University courses in various formats to accommodate different learning styles and further your education when and how you wish. For the entire course catalog, visit napo.net slash education. And to join NAPO, visit napo.net slash join. Okay, we are back with Lisa of Unclutter Me, and she is breaking down the seven ways we can prepare ourselves for disaster. And this is not just an episode about preparing ourselves, but this is a value add to our clients, whether you're a residential organizer, a business-to-business organizer, a productivity specialist. I don't care who you are, you need this information. So we are going to talk about memory totes. I don't know what this is yet, but Lisa's going to walk us through it. So I believe with my clients, irregardless of disaster or not, we could take that out of the picture if we wanted to, that every single one of my clients I work with, and I remind in the business world as well, is that everyone should have one memory tote. I'd like it to be a clear 66-quart storage tote. And it is to live in the bedroom of each individual. I recommend the closet. Some people will keep it up above if they have closet space up above or down below. What is in this memory tote are your most cherished, memorable items to represent that individual. What I explain to my clients and when I do my workshops is that when this individual leaves your home, it's not necessarily a bad thing. This tote is basically saying, here's your life with us. Continue forward and enjoy. And it's their most cherished memories. It could be the take-home outfit that your child came home in love letters that my husband wrote to me that I want to cherish and look back on later in life, art projects that your children have made for you or they made and they want to look back on that, awards, accolades. These are very, very cherished items that the individual, they themselves want to know that if they had to leave the home, they want them to come with them, be it that they're just moving on in life or if it's later in life and they need these reminders of wonderful experiences, they have that. Or in the particular case we're talking about, we are leaving our home or we need to get our things together. These are things I want to come with me because they have that much value. You're not wasting time racking your brain of, I got to leave. What is it that I want to take besides you know my cell phone and, and this cash? It's You've already thought about that ahead of time. So in particularly with me and my household, I can go again in that one secure, easy to access area, grab my cash, get my electronics. I've gotten my go folder with my cash. If I have the ability that I could go to each of my children's rooms and my husband's in my room, I could pull our memory totes and we can be out of our home in 20 minutes. Now, some people have some very cherished items that they have on their walls and they want to display. Absolutely. I'm not saying not to display those items. The point is, is what you've chosen to display, realize though in a disaster, may be damaged and that might be okay because you've had the wonderful time of seeing those displayed and you've enjoyed that and you take that 
knowledge that those things might be damaged or destroyed. These are items that you're saying if you had the opportunity to take, you could and you would get them immediately. And I want them to be there for every single individual. And some people may not have theirs fully filled because they're young in life. But this is something that I would like everyone to establish, disaster or not, is what we refer to as the memory tote. And it is a 66-quart storage unit. Storage container. All right. Let's talk about our adored pets. How do we handle them in disasters? 68% of all Americans own pets. It's not uncommon that you see when people are actually asked to evacuate you'll see this on TV. All of us have probably seen this. If people will not leave their homes if they don't have their pet accounted for, or they're more unlikely to leave if they feel that how they're going to leave might be a dangerous situation and what would happen to their pet. Pets are really considered to be loved ones within our families. We have a dog and it's very much a family member and we need to remember that. What I'm looking for you to do is For instance, in our disaster, one thing that's very interesting about earthquakes is you get no warning. You're driving down the road and the earth just begins to shake. I want an area, be it though that it's hurricane, tornado, extreme weather, flood, you need to have an area. Typically, we find if you have a carport or garage, these items are located there. What I need is an area that has the items that you'll need for your pet, not necessarily the food that goes in that disaster kit that you can get those recommendations from FEMA and ready.gov. This is the kennel or the carrier of whatever you may be able to put your animal into. It's the leash and it's a bowl. So that way you can feed that animal if necessary. What's very interesting is If we were to have to leave our home, if you were to have to leave your home in Ohio, you may be able to walk down the street on your animal on a leash, but what if you had to go to a shelter? How are you going to secure that animal? So many people will tell me that they didn't have a designated area. Again, this is where we as professional organizers can help our clients set that designated area up within the garage, the carport, where all of these things are together. Again, the leash, the food and water bowl and that carrier, it could be that it's not put together and that's fine, but you know you can get to that area and get those supplies. So again, these things are to give you a deep breath and know that you can deal with the other emergencies going on and not have to worry about these things that we were able to prepare for. Right. All right. Let's create that one point of contact. What do you mean by that? So I believe it is absolutely critical that you have someone outside of the state you live in that is your one point of contact. Almost think about it like your own personal public information officer. It is something that you should disseminate down to your other family and friends, but this is the one individual that you want to contact and say, we have had this emergency. This is how we are. This is what we're doing. Again, this is all barring the fact that we have online access, hopefully, electricity, but even if we don't have electricity, like for us, we still had online access that you could contact that individual and say, give updates. How are we doing? What is it we need? And they, again, are your own public information officer, your own private public information officer. They're disseminating that information to your family. So this individual needs to understand the importance of their role. They also need to have a list of individuals that you want this information to go out to. It is imperative that you let the rest of your family know who your point of contact is because here's the kicker, when disaster strikes, if you don't let all of these individuals know that are in your realm of family circle, they're going to all be trying to contact your cell phone, 
your smartphone and that's just eating up your battery life and you're trying to text and send messages and we're trying to mitigate as much battery life as possible. You've thought of everything. I never even would have thought about that. And now you've told people, the one person who's going to then tell all those people and they can also say to them, try your best to not contact this person at this time so that they are free to use their point of like their phone or however they're they're communicating the most imperative information to keep yourself safe during that time is that is that the idea absolutely it's to make sure that you can concentrate at the things at hand you're not being bombarded with all these calls and again they're not utilizing your battery usage on your phone and you know you are going to be able to more efficiently handle this disaster Okay. And then I think we're at the last one. This is seven. Review child, elder, and vulnerable family member information. So this is very key. It was something that I was able to see firsthand up here in Alaska because, again, this earthquake that we had happened during school. Take the time right now to look at your children's after-school programs, their schools, and think about the emergency contact list and who is released to take that child. The same applies to vulnerable family members that may be in a medical facility, as well as your elderly family members that might be in an assisted living home. So many times we fill out those sheets of who is it that can take your child, who is on the emergency contact list to pick them up, drop them off, and we just kind of fill that in. And we may put someone that if we hadn't really thought about, it isn't the best person that will be available when disaster strikes. When this earthquake hit up here in Alaska, as an example, which all of us can take, no matter where you're at, if you just think about what is more prone of a disaster in your area, there were a lot of people who had not thought about their emergency contact list and they needed their, for instance, they may have put down their best friend and their sister to pick up their children, but who was the best person to pick up the child was the neighbor. The schools were being bombarded with phone calls from parents saying, can you please release my child to X? But they had to follow their protocol. They were going through their own disaster preparedness and now having to deal with the fact that they are in the disaster and they needed to follow their emergency procedures. The same will apply for vulnerable as well as for elderly. So take the time, go back, review that sheet and after school programs, uh, schoolings, like I said, the assisted living homes, medical facilities, and make sure who you have listed for that person to be released to, if you have two or three options, that you have picked the best individuals that can be there for you in time of need. So good. Lisa, if you were to leave our listeners with two sticky notes, so we've gone through the seven steps of of what to prepare and where to put it. What's the overarching theme here that we can apply to both ourselves personally and perhaps, you know, with an, a value add to our business? Sure. I will first start what I think with something that we could all do personally and with our with our clients is let's imagine that we still have online access. We may not have electricity, but we have online access. I want you to pick your number one social media site that you go to most frequently. And I immediately, if you after the disaster have that online access, I would like you to write one statement out on your social media. And that is to say, if you know all of your family is accounted for, we are safe. So many times we have these social media sites where they will establish a mark yourself safe, but it's hours, if not 24 hours later, and family members or extended friends that are trying to get in contact with you because they've bypassed going to that one point of contact 
can go onto that social media and see you are safe. So that's something we can do personally and highly recommend for our clients. You're not giving any pontification of what has happened and, oh, we're so scared. It's just a statement. We are safe. The second point is utilize this with your clients. 60% of all Americans have no disaster preparedness plans at all. And this is in a recent study that was done in September of 2018. Let us use our expertise to help our clients. Start talking with your clients now. Let's baby step this and get them talking about the cash and finding that one designated home in their family, in their home. Talk about the Go folder and how you as a professional organizer can help them. In many cases, a lot of our clients have a lot of clutter. They don't even know where to begin to find these documents. To hold their hand, tell them to take a deep breath with you and know that you can walk them through this process in a, an effective time frame to where they can be prepared for hurricane season or if it's wildfire season. And it's not something that has to be done oh my gosh, in the next 72 hours, but that we will slowly work our way there so that way you can feel the best prepared and we as professional organizers can do that. So leverage this in your business to help your clients. So good. And I don't care what service you offer. This is something that everyone can be more prepared with. So I think it's just listeners, it just doesn't matter who you are, what services you provide, know when natural disasters are most likely to strike in your area. Even if it's like a terrible, like, you know, I live in Ohio where we don't have too many natural disaster concerns, but we have storms that have knocked power out or snowstorms that have been make made it difficult to travel or get home. And so it just has me racking my brain of ways that I can not only get myself better prepared, but also remind my clients, hey, we're getting to this season. Are Have you taken these steps? Oh, you haven't? No worries. I've got you covered and I can help us walk um, you through the process. So I think it's just a great value add. Okay, Lisa, where can our listeners find out more about you and find these more in-depth blog posts on these seven steps? Absolutely. The first place to find me is on my website, which is unclutterme.ak.com. And that is where you will find a plethora of information about myself, my business, and these blog posts that are going to be available for all of you to be able to utilize and help your own clients. I'm also on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook. Also, you can find me on Instagram. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, Lisa. I'm Sarah Karakayan. That wraps up this very important episode of Stand Out. Thank you for being here with me, learning with me. I am the first to admit that I need to be better prepared for these situations and then share that knowledge with my client base. If you've found something valuable, will you please leave us a review and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss that next episode? We want to be able to reach as many organizing and productivity professionals as possible. So in addition to to subscribing and leaving us that honest review. Please feel free to share this and every episode with your colleagues, your team, or whoever else might benefit. I look forward to hanging out with you next time and I'll talk to you then. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.